everybody and welcome to episode 140 of the Meet the Farmers podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Will Evans. Yes, you did hear that right. Still got it, Ben. Uh, Sounds ben, great. Ben has very kindly asked me to join him today to interview our fellow Kite podcast team member, the one and only Mr. Chris Walkland. Yeah. Oh, well, it's so good. Thank, thank you so much for doing this. And I, yes, I do feel like I'm on rock and roll. It, it, it feels like it's, it's come back. Come back for for one time only. <laughs> we to, we to, are we going to do the five cheesy questions at the end as well? Oh, we could do that. We yeah, could, we let's that. let's do that. I mean, Chris isn't ready for them, but we could do that. <laughs> Chris, start start thinking about your favourite all time song and uh, favourite <laughs> social media follow and things like that. For those of you who don't know him, Chris is an agricultural journalist, commentator, market analyst, and business advisor specialising in the dairy sector. He's one of the few dairy specialists in the UK and there isn't much he doesn't know when it comes to market trends on Fridays he I can, be can I just interrupt there there isn't much he knows <laughs> <laughs> there isn't much he knows <laughs> um, on Fridays he can be found broadcasting his regular and very unique dairy market reports on the Kite podcast and anyone who's listened to that podcast will understand what I mean when I say unique Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, Chris, welcome. Um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, so you grew up in North Yorkshire, but you went to school in, in Newbury and then Bath. Um, tell us about your time growing up. Well, my father was a Methodist minister and he died young. So the Methodist church actually paid for my brother and I to go to boarding school. Mum didn't have any money at all. And if that hadn't happened, we probably would have been split up. Uh, as a family so things were pretty pretty tough for my mum in those days but the Methodist church paid for us to go to school I went when I was nine my brother at 11 so that was a uh, 200 miles away from home wow. and it was pretty daunting at the time I've got I've got a nine-year-old daughter and I can't can't imagine her having to go to the other side of the country that must have been huge for both your mum and for you yeah well it, it was but it was also quite quite fun I mean we used to get on the train at Knaresborough and go through Leeds and York when we were like 11 now on our own it yeah. would never happen these <laughs> no. days but we would go and we'd get off at King's Cross and mosey along the underground two little lost kids from the town Wow. But it was pretty good fun, I have to say, looking back. I wouldn't change it. And um, like me, you went to the greatest agricultural <laughs> college slash university in the country, Harper Adams. What was that like for you and what kind of student were you? Oh, I was an incredibly diligent student. <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't one of these people that uh, did all their work at the last minute. But I didn't find work particularly easy. I wasn't one of these people that had a a brain like a sponge and could mop anything up um so i did i did have to work pretty hard but harper in my day was small it was a really good place to be everybody knew everybody else practically yeah. not like today i mean it's enormous now mm. we got on with everybody pretty much and it was it was just good fun a small niche agricultural college as it was then yeah have you been back where since um since you left yeah i've been back a couple of times but it's barely recognizable now because i know you, you have well 
yeah i went back fairly recently yeah chris is right it's like feels like a proper university now um, <laughs> whereas when i was at their early sort of late 90s early 2000s it still did have that agricultural college feel mm. although it, although it was changing then but um it looks as if they've got clever people there now it really does. not in my day <laughs> <laughs> apart, apart from your good self <laughs> how, how, why did um why did you choose harper chris why where did the sort of agricultural connection come from well when we were when we were young we didn't we couldn't afford holidays but we knew of we had a family friend who had a farm in norfolk near king's lynn so we used to go on holiday quite often to the, that farm and they had things called tractors <laughs> and combines and woolly things and a horse so for me it was quite exciting and and different and i guess i got an interest in agriculture there but without knowing it i also didn't really have a far i didn't have a father who was a lawyer or a Mm. airline pilot to influence me so there was none of that but when we went to school a friend of our father's was an agriculturalist he was high up in marks and spencers he was peel holroyd he was uh, just died last month and he knew everybody in agriculture at the time he was one of the leading lights in the food sector and he would have influenced me as well yeah so i guess the combination of the three things pushed me in this direction because I didn't know what else was out there really yeah so where did the journalism come from was that something that you picked up at Harper did you discover a, a love for writing or, or was that I don't know where did it come from well I knew I, I knew I could write and when I was at Harper I knew what I didn't want to do rather than what I did want to do and I knew I'd be useless at selling so I didn't think I'd make a a good job of that that's um, I, I would i would think you'd be quite good at selling i was gonna say <laughs> yeah skip, 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 skip ahead what of you're years. basically saying is you're full of bullshit, <laughs> and bullshit <laughs> and salesmen go together i think you'd spend a good line <laughs> um no i've got a huge respect for salesmen but i didn't i didn't want to spend all my time in the car going up and down yeah. farm drives uh, selling things and I just fell into journalism by accident really somebody who I knew from my course um, had done the job they were moving on vacancy became available so I kind of applied and you know got a lucky break and you started writing about the pig sector I did yeah yeah but pig farmers were way too miserable for a long time to live in pig farming. So <laughs> decided to move on to dairy. I mean, pig farming. It starts already. Dairy, dairy farmers famously cheerful and optimistic, of course. <laughs> well, probably more optimistic. Uh, I say that as a, as a from a dairy farming family. And dairy myself, farmers are mad as well as pig farmers. I think pig farmers are probably even madder than dairy farmers. But what's the lack of? Why sleep. did I bring you on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, we've been linked to that in all seriousness. I mean, back then, what was your what was your perception of farmers themselves? Um, sort of going going into that role, and and has that changed at all through the years? when perception when when i was young yeah i suppose well when you first started your the, the beginning of the beginning of your 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 career as a hack 
oh, I thought all farmers were rich. I hadn't really um, and didn't understand the concept of tenant farmers. Yep. Because I think the farmers that I'd come across mainly were landowners. Yep. And I would have been subject to all of the headlines in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s about subsidies and things like that. And I thought farmers were rich and and doing pretty well. And, and a lot of them probably were. And, you know, aside from the tenant farmer element, that would be my perceptions. And how that has changed, well, now I think they're all poor, landowners and tenants. I do admire farmers for what they're up against, you know, what they're up against on a number of factors, not least the weather, politics and economics. And I do remember thinking in one of my Harper Adams economics lectures, why do people do this job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? That that is What's one of the main these questions people? that anyone who yeah who certainly hasn't been, hasn't grown up in farming or or comes in with it from a different slightly angle. That's that is the key question. It's it's something that I think you know, even for a lot of us who are brought up in farming, yeah. That's a <laughs> <laughs> I've been asking myself that a lot lately. <laughs> um when did you start to specialise in dairy then, Chris? Where did where did that come from? Well, two about two or three years into writing about pigs and having decided that uh, it was in such a grumpy industry, <laughs> I had the opportunity of moving to write about dairy. And this was still at Farming Press in, in Ipswich. So I, I took the opportunity and haven't managed to escape yet. <laughs> I'm still here. And, you know, I quite like it, really. Why, why do why do you like it? Why, what's what is it that you like about the dairy industry? Is it has your chance to big up the dairy farmers? I think <laughs> it's a very dynamic industry. Hmm. There's yeah. always something. There's always something going on, whether that is politics. It's very political industry. You know whether that was EU politics or UK politics. There's always something happening on on prices. Uh, unlike pig farmers, dairy farmers are always happy with their milk. <laughs> always content. <laughs> and there's some great people out there. Yeah. You know, there are some, there's some great people out there. There are people who think they know everything, but actually know nothing. There are people that think they are stupid and actually are really intelligent and bright. Mm. Yeah. And there's every type of farmer and person in between. And the, the characters are, are great. Yeah. So there's, mm. there's that element and it's just, there's always something going on. Yeah. Mm. I suppose other, other than, um, other than being asked to join the Kite podcast team, of course, what, 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 give us some career highlights. Well, I think that is the highlight. <laughs> it must be. It must that, be. That is the undoubted <laughs> highlight of, of, of my career. And, and actually, <laughs> hopefully, Hopefully I'll get a listener one day. I'll do it often enough. Somebody might actually listen. But I don't know. I think career highlights. Uh, I do like writing the comment piece for British Dairying on the industry. I have enjoyed working behind the scenes as uh, Robin to Ian Potter's Batman. Indeed. done that for a number of years. <laughs> So that, that's been a highlight. 
it was quite good fun going to the Royal Show and Smithfield meeting, you know, dignitaries and the Queen Mother. And I think travel has been a highlight. In my early career, I had the opportunity of flying to the Philippines. Wow. And that was good fun. Yeah. And, and I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of countries that I wouldn't have been to if it okay. wasn't for this job. Mm. But I do, I think the highlight are the, you know, the stories that you hear and the people that you, you come across. So when did you first decide to head out on your own and go freelance? And what, what prompted that decision? Well, I, I had moved on from writing uh, magazines at Farming Press and I was working um, in a PR agency and basically had a bust up and got fired. <laughs> it was simple as that. I, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall for that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly easiest time, but I was, uh, well, I was obviously doing stuff that they didn't approve of, but the clients were loving what I was doing. Uh, British Dairying was, was, the editor of British Dairying was struggling, so I was helping her out um, and stuff like that. And yeah. occasionally PR agencies implode, don't they? And that's mm. what happened with that one. And I started up on my own and never really looked back. Yeah. Best thing that ever happened to me in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyone who goes to uh, the CMAX conference will, of course, know you for your rather unique uh, style, your jackets. Um, well, <laughs> let's just say, when did you start your flamboyant dress sense? Well, I was asked to do the CMAX conference, <laughs> which was a huge privilege. Um, and I was going to be talking about cheese and butter. So I thought I'd dress like a lump of cheese. <laughs> so I put a light yellow jacket on. <laughs> and the next year, uh, and that was always I was also talking um, about price movements. And I'm, I like to use colours, you know, red for negative, green for positive, yep. yellow for neither now nor summer. So I thought, oh, the following year I was asked to do it again. Um, obviously, no one listened the first year, so they thought they'd have me back. So I had red and green jackets as well and did a swap. Um, uh, and what I've subsequently found out is that nobody listens to what I say, but they do remember what I wear <laughs> on my epitaph. But on a serious note, yeah. I think that you can't educate people, you can't explain things to people if they're not listening yeah. and if you entertain them they're more likely to listen yeah so that's another that's another reason why i i decided to to do it and you know now it's a real talking point for the for the conference you know not what walkland's going to say but what's he going to wear <laughs> every time <laughs> yeah, that, i think that's a really interesting point there actually because i guess all of us on this call are in some degree or another involved in communications in, in to varying degrees and i i've sort of done a few things where i've spoke to groups of young people in farming and i always do tell them to make sure you are totally yourself and let your own personality come out don't don't sort of do things very prescriptively or toe the line and do things as you should make sure you do it as you and i think you are a really good Such example a good of that um, that you know you are relentlessly yourself and I think that's why people enjoy reading your reports and, and, and listening to the kite podcast actually I'm not trying to embarrass you there but I think you're a really good example of that well, I think you have I think you have to try you have to be yourself 
And uh, one of the things uh, I remember from my career is when I moved from journalism into PR, I had a feeling that PR was changing. Mm. Right? Public relations and writing was changing. I didn't know how it was changing. I just had a funny feeling that it was. And what I think happened is with that attitude in mind, I actually changed the way that I did it. Okay. I actually changed the way that people wanted their messages to be portrayed. And it worked and, and it worked for me. Obviously it didn't work for the PR agency, but it worked <laughs> for me and it worked for the client. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you have a conviction inside of you that you think something is going to happen, then believe in it and before you know it you've actually made the change that you think is going to come without you necessarily knowing in what direction or when or how listeners who don't listen to the kite podcast i'm sure they're all of them i'm sure they're in they all do numbers numbers are going up aren't they um <laughs> they, they, they uh they won't have had the pleasure of hearing your milk market reports possibly um they might be wondering though what a dairy market analyst does day to day can you describe the process of putting together one of those reports yeah well i get up and i get up you know early in the morning about 11 um, <laughs> <laughs> like all journalists do and then just start plucking figures out the air and sticking them in the spreadsheet <laughs> That's that's what I thought, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and everybody believes them. Uh, no, seriously, what I track a lot of different sources of numbers all over the world, really, on milk volume, on prices, views, and opinions, and basically chuck them into a computer and lots of different spreadsheets and chew over the results that come back with one objective in mind and that objective is to try and digest all of that yep. in a format that allows farmers to get a view of where their milk price might be in six months they know where it's going to be in two months but what about six months or, or seven months if you wind the clock back i remember several years ago that i wasn't doing what i was doing now and farmers were dairy farmers were misled by what was being published and what was being said into spending quite a lot of money on kit and materials on the back of what they thought would be a good milk price in three or six months time mm. and in actual fact a terrible milk price came along okay yeah and they were left high and dry yeah and at that time the rhetoric in the industry was uh, we only want to know the good news. Don't tell us the bad news. So people didn't tell them that the milk price was going to crash in six months time because the farmers didn't want to know that. Mm. So what happened is they went out and spent a load of money. And the milk price crashed. Yeah. Yeah. So now I don't really care if people say, oh, you're doom and gloom. You're talking the job down, blah, 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 because farmers are better off knowing what's yeah. coming than not. And if I take a bit of flack on of being doom and gloomy, at least I can hold my head up on a night yeah. and tell them and know that I've told the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Far, yeah. Farming's a long-term game, isn't it? And we're going through a key time of 
ag policy reform at the moment, um, maybe the biggest period of ag policy reform in, in our lifetimes. Where do you think we're heading to at the moment in terms of how politicians get involved in the farming world? Oh, well, I think our politicians are <laughs> being stupid, ignorant, reckless and damn right bloody dangerous, if you ask reckless. me. And if we're not careful, they will not just lead farming down the river, they'll lead it to the bottom of the river. And I think it's the only the ability and resilience of farmers that will prevent that happening. I do live in faith that the cretins that we've got in play at the moment will soon be replaced by other people that know what they're doing because they're just they're just abysmal. But you know, working with the in the pig industry, I saw the stall and tether band come in, mm. and there were all of the warnings from the pig farmers in the pig industry about exporting our industry on the back of a unilateral stall and tether ban. But still, the politicians went ahead and made unilateral decisions that screwed the industry. I cut my teeth in the dairy industry on deregulation of the MMB. I mean, what a cock-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't just a political cock-up. That was a cock-up on all sides. But yeah. even so, the politicians got that one yeah. wrong as that was well. The, that was the beginning of the end for, for dairy on, on, on our farm here. Yeah. But I do, I, I'm very optimistic that sense will prevail one day. You know, sense with the politicians, sense with the public on, on climate change and, you know, sense with the media. I mean, the media have no idea on farming, do they? They really don't. I mean, you take all this, all this vegetable stuff. I mean, vegetables are great to eat, aren't they? Fan bloody tastic. Let's eat more vegetables. Who's going to grow the damn things? Yeah. yeah. And where? <laughs> and where? <laughs> Let's take where. Okay, so it's going to be in the east. It's not going to be on top of Snowdon. It's a very, very skilled job. Yeah. To me, a normal tractor looks scarily expensive. And then you wow. see these veg growers with their huge pieces of kit yeah. behind them, normally full of people that you can't get anymore. Well, where? Exactly. where? <laughs> We've got to grow more veg. Who? Yeah. Where? Yeah. How? Yeah. And then you read a tweet that I read last night that knocked me over practically when somebody, and I can't remember the name, posted about the price of a whole chicken being less than the price of a medium latte. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. And you think, wow, yeah. knock me down with a feather. Yeah. So where, where's the joined up thinking going to come? Yeah. And Minette Bassers is repeatedly saying that the government isn't listening. Now, if people aren't listening to Minette, yeah. I mean, I'm scared of Minette. I'd listen to her. <laughs> people aren't listening to Minette, one of the greatest ag leaders yeah. we've had yeah. for many years. Yeah. If we get somebody lesser than Minette, we've got a chance. Can, can you think of any examples through the years of, of any, any, any politicians involved in or connected with farming who've actually done a good job there will be some i think one of the problems that agriculture has is the number of ministers that we've had yeah um, I'm just certainly in recent on. years it's like an underperforming football club isn't it Chopping yeah managers yeah it's now like, then, it's look, like Everton. this is yeah <laughs> this is i've got a slide up uh, just out of accident really we had we had four in six years 
between 2010 and 2016. Okay. Right. How many have we had since 2016? I don't know. Another three? Another yeah, four? Must be. Go. Go's been since 2016. Um, obviously Eustace. Um, yeah, uh, can't, can't think of her name. Um, there was the, the, there was um, Liz, there was there was Liz Truss, but I can't remember when she was. Yeah, she was she was 2014 to 2016. Was she, that, she was that Ledson. long ago. Wow. They were both complete disasters. Oh, Andrea Ledson. Oh yeah, whatever happened to Owen Patterson? Yeah, yeah he Patterson. Was Caroline Spellman. But you know, if you go through Defra's track record, I mean, there was the farm payments fiasco. There was the IT disaster um foot and mouth was a fiasco the badger culls just awful um what else brings to mind oh they, they managed to cock up flood relief the leadership has been dreadful and one of the leaderships one of the reasons leaderships has been dreadful is because if you've got a minister in charge every two years a different one then it's gonna be bad if you were a plc company and you changed your chairman and you changed your md every two years like agriculture changes its minister then you're going to have a share price on the floor and nobody's going to have any confidence in you just just well just while you're here as well will is this sort of a similar is this a similar picture over in in, in cardiff i don't know because i i often uh, my views probably political views are probably quite different than a lot of farmers yeah I, I, but, so, but the, I, the general I, general sense you get from welsh farmers in terms of their their perception of cardiff i mean there's a lot of frustration obviously with tb that's that's yeah. that's that, that, that's the big one but i think i mean i know leslie griffiths reasonably well because she only lives up the road and i i i like her i think she, she's been out to our farm a few times and she listens to I think she's keen to listen to farmers. I mean, whether that actually translates to action. She certainly um, spoke well at, at Oxford. She did, and a very good response, actually. And we actually, what was quite interesting, is a lot of English farmers, I think, um, were quite impressed with how she spoke and Edwin Poots, Northern Ireland um, Ag Minister. I, I, I think, you know, like, like the rest of us, we're all pretty frustrated um, with government but um, and the speed they operate. But I, I would suggest that we've, perhaps a little bit better served in yeah. Cardiff in that department than you are in England. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, before we do Will's quick questions, uh, we're going to do the, the final two questions that are normally on this show to you, Chris. Uh, the first is, if you have a message for the public, any message, what would it be? Message to the public, have confidence in farmers and the food they produce. Grant. Nice and quick to the point. And finally, uh, and this will be an interesting one, a message from Chris Walkland to farmers. Have confidence in your own ability to thrive and survive. Right. Over to you. Oh, I'm listening to my podcast. Oh, of Please. course. <laughs> yeah, let's get that in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, going, going away from farming then. And this was, was a question I always used to ask. And I deliberately used to ask farmers this question, actually, at the end of my podcast, just going back to something we said earlier is that I was trying to show non-farmers listening that farmers are human and do have things like favorite songs so on this so what is your all-time favorite song Chris it would have to be one from when I was at, at prep school okay probably because going there at nine um and hiding radios in cupboards and under the pillows because they were all banned and listening to Radio Caroline <laughs> um, 
it would have to be from that era, but I, I wouldn't be able to, to pick one, I don't think. Probably mm. Stairway to Heaven or Freebird or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love yeah. a bit of Leonard, Leonard Skinner. Yeah, Freebird. Classic. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the other one I always used to ask, um, just, just for fun, really, but what was, uh, what's your favorite agriculture related social media account to follow? Who do you think does a good job? This I mean, again. I think you're, spo- you're supposed to say Becky Leach here, I think. <laughs> well, I'm obviously in love with Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to answer that one, I don't think. I, I, I do admire a lot of farmers who have the time and put the effort into communicating with the general public via Twitter. And, and that, that a lot of books are being written, and I'll take my hat off to them because I wouldn't have the time or the inclination to do it. I think I'd choose Joe, Joe Stanley. Joe is on the list. I think we'll call it a day there, but thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. Seeing you week in, week out on the Kite podcast, it was it was nice to hear a little bit more, a little bit more about your story. And thank you also to Will um, for coming on to co-host today. That was a real pleasure. Next week... Um, I, yeah, I was be... just going to say, it's a shame my mother's not alive uh, to listen to it, really. At least you get one message oh. on my life story. <laughs> Next week, I'll be speaking to our uh, our co-boss, senior consultant at Kite Consulting and the producer of the Kite podcast, Becky Leach. Um, I hope you can join me then, but until then, have a great week.